come on a ride with me. We're going to imagine for a second. Imagine you're in the time of, of the Ephesians. You're back about 2,000 years ago, let's say. You're in a church in Ephesus, and uh, imagine you're reading this. And so remember that in the modern age, in our modern Bibles, we, we put numbers of chapters and verses and headings in ourselves. So all these chapters and verses, you wouldn't have gotten this nicely organized uh, piece of paper when you, when you got this letter from Paul. So just imagine you're at church, and usually church of that day was like little home, home churches that Paul would have planted in Ephesus. And, and it would have just been, you know, you usually you meet at someone's house, you'd share a meal together. You'd have a time of worship, maybe. You'd, you'd have a, a time of someone reading from the scriptures, the Old Testament. And then maybe someone would bring out this letter, this, this letter to the Ephesians on a scroll. And they say, hey, look, look what, uh, I don't know, look what, look what Tim gave me from our sister church over here. He gave me the scroll. Paul sent us a, a letter to us. Because they, they would have only had one letter. Paul didn't send a letter to each and indi- every individual church. It was just a letter to the collective churches in Ephesus, unless someone maybe rescribed it out to another piece of parchment. But they only had the one parchment from Paul. And so maybe they open it up and they say, look, we just got a letter from Paul. And you're sitting there and you're listening and someone begins to read it. And, and up until this point in chapter, in, well, in all of Ephesians, it's all about how we're united in Christ to the Jewish people. How we're all a part of one body, we're all a part of one church, or as I like to say, as we talked about last week, one wolf pack. And in chapter 4 is the shift, you guys remember? One, it's the shift from Paul encouraging us in Christ, informing us that we've been adopted into the wolf pack, and then in chapter 4 he starts the practical stuff. So we know that Jesus died for you, we know that he willingly laid down his life and took away your sins so that you're no longer bound by chains, you're, you're no longer a wandering nomad. God's, through Jesus, you've been adopted into the family of God. And you've been adopted into a loving God. A God who knows you and cares about you, he wants to bless you, and, and by no works of your own, by no works of my own, but by the blood of Christ that I'm saved and that you're now in the pack. And that these are the ways that we respond to the grace of God. So last week we talked about verse 1 to 16 of chapter 4. And this week we'll finish off chapter 4 of the book of the letter to Ephesians. So if you have a Bible, if you need a Bible, now's the time. I won't shame you. Grab a Bible. Open up the app on your phone. Verse ch- Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. And let's just read. Now this I say... And testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Now, right away, again, go back with me. Imagine in your mind, you're sitting in your little house church. You're maybe at your neighbor's house, and and you're up, you know, in the back room, and you're talking, and someone stands up and unscrolls this big, long scroll. And and I don't know, maybe, I don't know how it worked. Maybe Paul had a special stamp signifying it was from him, or, you know, I don't know. But you get kind of excited. You're like, oh, Paul. I know Paul. And, s- and you get excited that someone has a letter from Paul. You're like, oh, I heard Paul was in jail. And they're like, yeah, but he still got a letter out to us. Who knows? And so Tim or Tom or Steve or I don't know, not really a classic Jewish name, but we're making it Canadian here. They stand up and they're reading it and, and it's all good. And then Steve, he gets to this part and he says, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. And then you get stuck on that, right? You get stuck on that part because you're like, well, 
That doesn't make sense, Paul. I am a Gentile. What do you mean? You don't want me to walk as the Gentile? I am a Gentile. How do I not walk as I am? And so if you don't know the term Gentile, Gentile means it's like it's considered a category of persons. Anyone that isn't of Jewish descent is a Gentile. So it's pretty safe to assume that all you here are Gentiles. You know, I don't know, maybe one or two of you might have some Jewish heritage in you. But, and even then, I don't know what's the minimum percentage to be considered not a Gentile. I don't know. But I think it's safe to assume that everyone here is a Gentile. Or not, you can relate to being a Gentile. And so imagine I say to you, all you Gentiles sitting here right now, and I say, hey, don't walk as the Gentiles do. You'd be like, but Blake, that doesn't, what? That doesn't make sense. Don't walk as the Gentiles do. I am a Gentile. That's I would even say to myself, I am a Gentile. How do I not be a Gentile? How do I, I don't understand. There's something doesn't add up here. And Paul's going to explain further, but I've heard it, I've heard it explained like this. He'll say, am I a Gentile or am I a Christian? And what's the answer to that? Yes. So let's look here. Let's see what Paul has to say about no longer walking as the Gentiles do. Starting in chapter 4, verse 17. He says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. So let's stop right there again. I feel like all I do all the time, the past couple weeks, has just been talking about how dense the book of Ephesians is. But it's true. Let's look at what Paul says here. The Gentiles walk in the futility of their minds. Anyone here a, a Trekkie? Star Trek? Captain Picard Picard turns around and he says, Resistance is futile. As you see the Borg on the side of his face. And you're, No! Not Picard! Not the captain! Just me, I guess. <laughs> Resistance is futile, number one. Futile means, it means incapable of producing any useful result. Paul says, don't walk like the Gentiles do in their mind, because their mind is futile. Their mind is useful, is not capable of producing any useful result. And now this is a wild statement, right? Can you imagine saying this statement, like, to the world outside of these walls? It would cause an outrage, I think. Like, people would go crazy. Did you guys see last week the picture of the black hole that got released? Or the picture, or the video? Actually, I watched the video of SpaceX landing those three rocket boosters back onto Earth after they've been in space. If you haven't seen that, it's awesome. You should go watch it. SpaceX landing three rocket boosters. It's like, it's crazy watching these three just huge rockets come down from the sky and land simultaneously side by side. One of them, two of them landed side by side. One of them landed actually on a floating, a floating uh, landing pad out in the ocean. It's like crazy, the marvel of engineering that went in to be able to do that. Like my brain, my brain is like too simple to even comprehend how complicated that is. But that's not what Paul's talking about here. Paul isn't saying, hey, you Gentiles, that doesn't mean you can't perform great feats. It doesn't mean you can't do great things of the world if you don't know God. It just means that their achievements fall short of true wisdom. So look at me at Prov- look with me Proverbs 9:10. You don't have to go there. I'll just read it. It's short. 
Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. True wisdom is the fear of the Lord. These achievements that happen in the world, as amazing as they are, like, amazing, they're seemingly unfathomable. They fall short of the beginning of wisdom, the fear of the Lord. But Paul doesn't stop here. Paul doesn't stop in saying that they just lack wisdom and and they walk in their minds, which lead to nothing. In verse 18, he actually goes on to explain a unique combination of habits exhibited between the mind and the heart that seem to work together. The mind and the heart, the mind and the heart, they work together to seemingly, seemingly lead to just a complete loss of morals. And the question becomes, well, how, how does someone get to this place that the mind is futile and what we read in verse 18, they are darkened in their understanding alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. So their understanding is darkened. The Gentiles' understanding is darkened. They're alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance in them. Why? Well, we read there, because of the hardness of heart. The Gentile has their understanding darkened. In the world we live in, we have a ton of knowledge right now. Like, imagine the past... 100 years compared to the previous 2,000 years. Our knowledge is off the charts, but we have no wisdom. The unsaved, they boast, they boast in their knowledge, they boast in technology, they boast in the achievements of man, they boast in works, in money, in sex, they boast in the forest, but they're unable to boast in Christ. Verse 18 says, the unsaved are alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. 1 John 5, 11, 12, Assurance of Salvation says, And this is the testimony God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. So I'm here to tell you this morning, do you want life? Do you want life? Then get Christ. And this seems like a simple subject. It's easy for me to say that, right? It's, it's a simple subject. Like, for us who have Christ... We sometimes lose our mind in this church because it's like, why are more people not being saved? It's easy. You just follow Christ. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. That's easy, right? It's easy for us to say that. And it's like, why why does that not happen more? Why can't we just tell people do this and they do it? <laughs> well, let's find out. Last part of 18 into 19. Last part of 18 says, due to their hardness of heart, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. So their heart is hard. It's calloused. How do things become hard or calloused? Anyone here play guitar? Anyone played an instrument? You've worked with your hands for maybe just an extended period of time? Anyone's picked up a shovel? You know how calluses form, right? There's one thing that I can't stand. Well, there's more than one thing I can't stand in this world, but there's one thing I can't stand in this world, and that's digging. <laughs> when you dig, you just grab onto that shovel, and you, sh some people like this, I, I hate it. You just shut, you sh grab that shovel, and you shut your brain off, and you just go to town, dig a hole, or in my case, dig trenches to put pipe in, and you just, you just over and over, you're digging holes. Only to what? Then fill those holes back in. And you're like, this doesn't like this is not what I want. 
And, and when you do that over and over, your hands begin to form calluses, and, and, and your skin forms these tough spots on your hand where you've been grinding and irritating it until eventually your body goes, I've had enough of this. I'm going to start putting some tough skin there so it quits being an open wound, so I quit wrecking all the skin on my hands. And when your hands become callous, they kind of lose sensitivity. They kind of lose feeling. They become tough to the world. And that's what's going on here with the Gentiles. Through repeated, repeated hard use, their heart has become callous to the things that they're doing. And Paul shows us three things being done over and over until the heart becomes calloused. They've, number one, given themselves up to sensuality. They've, number two, become greedy. And they've, number three, practiced every kind of impurity. Turn with me to Romans chapter 1 quickly. Keep your thumb in Ephesians. Turn with me to Romans chapter 1. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. Romans chapter 1, verse 21. Paul wrote the book of Romans as well, so we're not going too far away from Paul here. Staying right with Paul. And here, actually, in Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 21, he goes into a little bit more detail of what actually goes on when a Gentile heart, when a Gentile becomes hard and calloused. So let's read it, starting in 21, and we'll go down to 32. It says, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. 24. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for things that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. 28. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. And they were filled with all manner of righteousness, evil, covetousness, malice, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. And so here we, we see, you can go back to Ephesians now, we see that it's more than just a lack of wisdom. It's more than just a lack of knowledge. It, it's, it's by walking in the futility of their minds, the Gentiles have actually completely changed their morals. In their mind, they've decided what's right and wrong. They've decided what's good, what's evil. They've effectively taken the place of God. They now decide, you know, I decide what's right and wrong for me. I decide. And we don't see that in today's world, do we? No, we do. Of course we do. And it starts slow, right? You sin a little bit. You sin a little bit here. You sin a little bit there. And you begin to justify your actions. And 
and your heart gets a little bit more hard. It builds up a little bit more callus. And then you sin a little bit more. And then you sin a little bit more here, a little bit more there. And, and your heart gets even more and more hard. And you begin to reason. You say, well, that's okay. God has grace. God has grace for me. It's okay. You know, God loves me. God wouldn't, he, he wouldn't ever leave me to my own passions. Until eventually you reason this way over and over and over in your mind until there just becomes a clear rejection of God, and then your heart becomes calloused, it becomes hard, it becomes numb to what you are doing, and there becomes a complete loss of morals and cares. Verse 20 goes on, But that is not the way you learn Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. But that is not the way that you learn church, is it Christ? Try again. That's not the way you learn Christ, is it, church? That's not the way we learn Christ here. Paul uses the word Christ in an adjective form here, almost like an action word. He could have said, that's not the way you learn about Christ, but he said, that's not the way you learn Christ. Because learning Christ isn't something that you just do and all of a sudden you understand, right? Learning Christ is a daily walk. And in my line of work as a plumber, there's always things I don't know how to do and but it's easy, right? I call my boss, I, I maybe call tech support, and they give me the answer, and just like that, I know it, right? Easy. If I get confused, I get an answer. Boom, just like that. And then I know that thing. But Christ isn't that easy sometimes. Uh, well, unfortunately, right? Sometimes don't you wish you could just pray and just say, Jesus, just tell me everything. And then he'd just tell you, and just boom, it's done like that. But that would probably be a disaster. And you get a better sense of understanding when you work through something. When you, when you get put in situations to learn about Christ and come out the other end and just look back and go, wow, God is so good. Learning Christ is a daily walk, a daily exercise in our mind and heart to stay focused. That is assuming that you've heard about him. Verse 21, and we're taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. After all, we talked about futility of the mind Lacking wisdom. This is a bit of a profound counter-argument. Imagine saying this outside these walls. Do you want the truth? Do you want the truth, church? Hello? Yeah? You can't handle the truth! No, just kidding. The truth is Jesus. Ask me a question. Anyone, ask me a question. I'm ready. I'm ready. Bring it on. Ask me a question. Free for all. These burning questions you've been having in your heart to ask me. Give it to me. Shout it out. Wow, that was easy. <laughs> no questions? Well, let me tell you, no matter what question you ask me, I'll give you one answer. Jesus. The answer is always Jesus. The truth is always Jesus. Because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, that's what the truth is. It's all about Jesus. Jesus is the one final man that the Old Testament prophets had been waiting for. As you go through the Old Testament, it's all leading up to Jesus, the final Adam, some people say. We've had many men before Jesus that were close. You had Noah, you had, you had Abraham, you had Moses, you had David, Solomon. You had many men that seemed like they could be saviors of the world. And all these guys were close, very close, but they always had a flaw. Unlike Jesus, fully God and fully man, Jesus came to this earth all the glory of God contained in one man, and Jesus was beaten, and he was scorned for my sins and for your sins, 
he was hung on a cross, and he died, and most importantly, one week from today, he rose again. Jesus broke your chains of sin. He broke the bonds that held on to you. He bought you with a price. He brought you into the family, into our wolf pack. There's no other truth other than Jesus. Remember what we talked about last week in verse 13? Chapter 4, verse 13 says, Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And you think to yourself, like, how am I ever going to grow into mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ? And this is where it gets good, if it hasn't been good already. In the next three verses, there are three things that Paul tells us to do. We're no longer to walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. This is what we are to do. Number one, we're to put off our old self. Number two, we're to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And then number three, we're to put on the new self. So let's look at number one, verse 22. Verse 22 says, To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Paul tells us to put off our old self, which belongs to our former manner of life. You're brought into this new wolf pack. Now take off those old clothes that you had on before you came into this pack. You're no longer bound by the chains of sin. Jesus went into the enemy's camp, and he took back what was his. Why are you still wearing those grave clothes, is what he says. Take off those chains. Take off those clothes. Those clothes don't suit you anymore. They don't fit you anymore. That old self that you have on right now is your former manner of life. Now that you're with us, you got to leave that old life behind. Take off that old self that is corrupt from deceitful desires. Eat your broccoli. You're a big kid. You know, Paul doesn't say, he doesn't say, just throw a patch on that old self. Just cover it up. He doesn't say just buy a little bit of a bigger shirt to put on over top so that no one else can see it. He says, take off that old self. That is not who you are anymore. Distance yourself from what you used to be. In our pack, in Jesus' pack, your old self is gone. What's the second thing? In verse 23, it says, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And I love this one. And let me tell you why I love this one, because this is a great excuse for me to use my favorite phrase in the Bible. Gird up the loins of your mind. So good. Paul's saying, be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Gird up those loins of your mind. So how do we do this? How do we renew our minds? Well, a good metaphor I thought about is just your body. Talk about your physical body. How do you renew the strength in your body? Well, you, you eat right, you go to the gym, you get regular checkups, you maybe have a buddy who keeps you on track, who, you know, phones you, hey, you're not sleeping in, are you, right? You got someone to, someone to keep you going along, and some of us do that. I don't know about me. Definitely not me. But in the same way, that's how we renew the spirit of our minds. We go to church, we read the Bible, we pray, we cooperate together. We speak the truth in love. And those things, again, aren't just something that you do once or twice and then call it good. Imagine if you did that once or twice a month and you're like, why am I not losing weight? It's like, well, these things you got to do daily. You got to do regularly. You got to regularly renew the spirit of your minds. You show me a strong Christian 
I'll show you one who goes to church regularly. You show me a strong Christian, I'll show you one who reads his Bible daily or her Bible daily. You show me a strong Christian, I'll show you one that regularly spends time in prayer with our Heavenly Father. First, you need to take off that old self. You need to renew your mind. And then lastly, you need to put on that new self. Let's go verse 24. Verse 24 says, Put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So you've taken off your old self. That's a good start. You've renewed your minds. That's step two. Lastly, put on your new self who's modeled after Christ in righteousness and and holiness. And now that's easier something that's something easier said than done, right? <laughs> Put on the new self created after the likeness of God. How am I ever how am I ever going to be able to do that? What am I how am I ever going to be able to put that on? How am I ever going to be able to become righteous and holy? How am I ever going to be able to like do good enough things so that I can so that I can be worthy of God? And that's where I say, well, you can't too bad to be you, right? But Jesus can. You come to Jesus and he will purify you. He will cleanse you. He will make you as white as snow. Now the word righteousness and holiness, that's some serious Christianese word, right? Sometimes we say that word and we really don't know what that means. I'm going to be honest, I don't always. I just say, oh yeah, you're righteous. You're like, cool, okay, see ya. God's holiness is a profound idea. God is so holy, he's so good, he's so righteous, he's so perfect that it can actually be dangerous to come to him. If you come to him in the wrong way, did you know that? God is so perfect in goodness and righteousness that he demands holiness when you come to his presence. And so when you read the Old Testament, you get to the book of Leviticus, and the whole book of Leviticus is basically just about how to become ritually clean so that the people of Israel could come to could come to God's presence. And so if the people touched anything disease ridden, if they touched death, if they touched uh, anything involving some bodily fluids, like there's a whole list of things that made them unclean. And that w if they touched any of those things, they'd become unclean. But but being unclean it wasn't a sin. It's not a sin. It's just it just means you have to clean yourself before you come, come to God's presence. Otherwise, you could literally die. And so that's where Jesus comes in for us. And Jesus changes the rules in such a mind-bending way that it is unfathomable. Jesus came to, to the sick and the disabled people. And he would touch them. And he would heal them. And what's wrong with that picture? What's wrong with that picture? Well, if, if he touched a sick person, he should become unclean, right? He should become unclean. But what actually happened in the Bible when Jesus would touch a sick person? They would get healed. They would be cleaned. And that's what turned the world upside down, is that it's like, Jesus, what are you, you can't touch an impure. You become impure. And he would say, no, no, become clean now. Rather than Jesus becoming unclean, the person would become clean. Come to Jesus. He'll touch you, he'll make you clean, and he'll bring you into the pack. And again, like I've been saying over and over, this putting on the, the new self is something that needs to be done constantly. You know, it would be great if we could just put it on once and never have to wash it. You know what I mean? Maybe you guys, some of you guys here have this, like, 
big old 30 year old comfy sweater you wear maybe some of you, you dads out there you got those pair of jeans that work for every situation whether you're in the garden or you're going to an upscale dinner party you got that one pair of jeans that's good for all you don't need anymore right or maybe you're like me I had these pair of Sperry boat shoes that I wore every day for like three years straight rain sleet snow su didn't matter I had these shoes on and man the, when I eventually got convinced to throw those things out they stunk I had them for probably like three years every day basically nasty but when you so when you wear those things over and over when you wear the same thing over and over it gets dirty right that's just life it picks up things of the world it gets stained and you need to wash it you need to clean it and this is what we need to be doing all the time with this new self we put on this new self constantly gets dirty the old self is trying to creep back into us the the new self picks up all sorts of things along your walk it picks up greed it picks up sensuality picks up ignorance it picks up impurity and so we need to be constantly taking off the old self renewing our minds and coming to Jesus to put on the new self in the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness and this new self that we put on uh, it should be kind of weird looking it should stick out kind of like a crazy bright fluorescent shirt that you have or I don't know you should be obvious you should stick out People should be walking in a crowd and be like, look at that weird dude. That guy's weird. What is he wearing? Maybe it's a cape. That guy's wearing a cape. You know that Seinfeld episode? That guy's wearing a cape. Is that the new fashion? People should look at you like that. You should stick out like a sore thumb wherever you go. You know, there's a trend in Christianity nowadays to, to I don't even know nowadays, but to try and fit in with the world, right? Because we want to show them, we want to show the unsaved. We're just like you guys. We're not so weird. We're the same as you. We just follow a guy named Jesus. That's not so weird. We're Christians. We're, we're normal people. We just happen to follow a guy that, that saved our life 2,000 years ago. But that's not how we should look, right? That's not how we're told to look. People should look at us and see that we're looking different. People should come up to you and say, Oh, and who are you wearing tonight? Ah, uh, got on the JC Private Collection tonight. Thank you very much. In my Bible, I've got all these, uh, I got all these papers in the front. It's a mess I've got going on here. And uh, there's just a random collection of things that you might have seen them fall out of my Bible if you've hung around me. I, I like they fall out of my Bible and I scurry around to try and grab them before anyone looks at them or anything. I don't know. I don't know why I scurry around like a mouse to try and grab them all. But I quickly grab them all up, and 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 I've got all sorts of different things in here. One of them's a, oh, one of them's a list of quick notes of what we did every day when we went to Israel last year. One of them's uh, written on our tithing envelope. Uh, random, just random prayer requests over the years. Nothing crazy. They're probably all very outdated now. I got just this random st sticky note of, I don't even know what that's from says something on it, nothing really important. And then I've got, I've, and then I come to this, my, my most prized random piece of paper in my Bible. And it's actually written on the back of a thank you card from Donna Pearl. <laughs> it's, I don't even know. I don't even know why she gave this to me, but thank you for thanking me. I think it was when I was doing the youth group or something. I don't know. 
But it's on the back of this thank you card from Donna, and 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 what it is is it's a list of, it's a list of just various things I've heard over the years of of tips for ministry. I guess is a way of saying it. And so over the past three or four years, every time I've got nine things written on here over the past four years or so, and it's just tips tips I've heard on various preachers in my travels, things I've I've really liked enough to write down on my most prized piece of paper. And and one of the tips on here, I'll just share one of them with you today. If you want to hear the rest, you can come talk to me after church and I'll show you what I have written down. But uh, the one we're going to talk about today, it says this. It's the, it's the second thing I've written down here, so I've had it for quite a while. It says, you cannot win them by becoming what they are. Often in our ministry, we want to win the lost, right? That's what we're called to do. We're called to win the lost. And so we go to where the lost are, right? That makes sense. You want to win the lost, you go to where the lost are. And then you want to fit in, right? Because you want to build relationships with the people there, and you want to get to know people. So we start doing what the lost do. And you start saying to yourself, well, I'll just have this one beer to fit in. It's not a big deal. Or, you know, you, s- you say, I'll just, I'll just look. I'll just look just this one time. I'll just look this one time so I fit in. Or, or yeah, pass me that joint. I'll just take a hit just this once, just so I look like I fit into the crowd, right? I want to gain their respect. And then the next thing you know, one thing leads to another, and, and one beer turns into five, six, seven, eight, turns into a whole case. And, y- and, y- and you begin to let your old self creep back in, slowly but surely, and without even realizing it, right? And and we begin to make choices that God wouldn't have us make. Our heart becomes numb. We make choices with our mind that leads our heart to become numb and callous. And it can happen to the best of us. Like, it's happened to me, I'm sure, right? You, you do these things and you don't think it's a big deal. And then next thing you know, you look back and you're like, what am I doing? This is crazy. And so I'm here to tell you this this morning. Do not compromise your new self. This new self that you've put on, do not compromise that. It is not a trade worth making. We're called to be lights to the world. In our new self that we put on, we should stick out like sore thumbs. You cannot win them by becoming what they are. Once you've put on that new self, don't you dare look back at that old self. You take that old self that you've taken off, that you're maybe still holding on to by the, by the armhole, and you burn that old self. And trust, trust me, trust Paul when he says, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing, you may see the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And so the question, am I a Gentile or am I a Christian? Yes. You live in this world. You're a Gentile. Let's be honest. You're a Gentile. But don't do as the Gentiles do. Don't let your mind control your thoughts so much that your heart becomes calloused, your heart becomes hard, your heart becomes numb to what you're doing in this world. Do as the Christians do. Eat your broccoli. You're a big kid now. You take off the old self, you renew your mind, and you put on the new self. Amen? So as we go on here, things get practical. Paul starts to take it to practical application now. Paul's a man of the people. He doesn't want to just give you theology and tell you, oh, this, this, this. He wants to give you just practical things to do. And he gives us 
some things here that we're to do and, and not to do now that we've put on this new self. And so here in the next little rest of chapter four, I see seven main points that Paul tells us here. And so here he goes. Everyone's doing good so far? Everyone's doing good? All good? Cool. Let's do it. Time flies when you're having fun, eh? Holy cow. So verse 25, they'll come up on screen, each of the ones as I go along here. The number one thing I see is to put away falsehood and speak the truth. Verse 25 says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. So Paul says, stop lying. We're members of one another. What are you lying for? Speak the truth. Just speak the truth in love. When you put away that old self, you also put away falsehood. Have you ever had some, I'm sure you've all done this. Have you ever had someone ask you a question and you know you don't know the answer, but you just say, you just say yes anyway. So you're like, oh, have you done this? You're like, yeah, I've done that. And you're like, in your head, you're like, why did I say yes? I I'm lying right now. I didn't, I haven't done that thing. I just want to fit in, I guess. I don't even know why I said yes. You just like, you don't want to look like a fool and say no, right? But it's like not a big deal. It's like, oh, have you ever had avocado before? You're like, oh yeah, I've had avocado a lot. It's not a big deal. I'm lying. I've never, like, what are you saying, right? Or the classic one you hear in church, hey, did you read your Bible today? And you're like, oh, yeah, of course I did. Yeah, 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 read uh, Matthew. Yeah, Matthew, that's where I read. But that's a lie, right? <laughs> it's okay to admit. You know, I'll admit, I'm not perfect. I try and read my Bible every day, but I'll admit I don't. I don't. And, and so when you tell the truth to the body, that we can cooperate together. We can lift each other up. Let's look at the second thing. The second thing says, be angry and do not sin. Verse 26 says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. 27, and give no opportunity to the devil. Paul says, be angry and don't sin. He doesn't say don't be angry because it's a fact. Let's be honest, you're going to get angry in life. When you get a group of people together like we do, anger just comes. It's just natural. It's just in our sin, anger comes. But Paul says, hey, it's okay to be angry. But just put a limit on your anger. And for goodness sake, don't let your anger lead you to sin. Get angry, get upset, get frustrated, and then let it go, right? I don't think it means literally you're not allowed to be angry once the sun goes down. It's, I think it's just more of a metaphor of saying, hey, there's a time to be angry. And there's a time to forgive. Don't hold on to it for longer than needed. Let it go. One of the works of the devil is to get into your brain. He gets into your brain and, and causes strife and divisiveness amongst the body. And Paul's saying, don't do the work of the devil for him. That's what the old self does. You've put that off. When we renew our minds and we put on the new self, we don't harbor anger in our hearts. Let's keep rolling. The third one, verse 28. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. This new self that you've put on, it no longer steals. Stop stealing. That's a pretty easy one, right? For probably most, if not all of us in here. Stop stealing? Okay, yeah, I can do that. Done. Check that one off. He says, stop stealing and start working. And don't just work, but labor. The idea of laboring is tough work. What do you do on a job site when you're, well, you're either a brand new laborer or maybe you get a new laborer on your job site and you say hey go bring those five foot tall pile of two by fours up the street by hand or go dig that or you know 
Go drill all these holes for the next five days. You, you work them. You <laughs> work them hard. And that's what Paul says. Paul says, stop stealing. Start laboring. Start working hard so that you may have something to share with anyone in need. In our body, in our new self we put on, we cooperate together and we work hard so that we can share with the body. Let's keep going. Number four says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. Verse 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Basically, watch your mouth, right? <laughs> What's the old saying? If you can't say something nice, don't say anything at all. And we could spend hours, like, I mean hours, just on this one topic of the mouth and the tongue. But we'll just look at James 3. I'll just read it for you here. You don't have to go there. James 3 says, And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. And then verse 8 says, and But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, the things ought not to be so. Paul tells us to build each other up. Don't beat each other down with your words. Just one little word can change the whole course of how someone feels about you, right? You know, have you ever had that where someone said something to you and you're like, well, what did they mean by that? Like, what? Maybe it was just a joke even. And you're like, what did they mean by that? Like, why did they say that? Why did they say it in that tone? Did someone tell them to say that? You, your mind just goes all these things just by simple words, right? And Paul just says, just speak with grace. Speak with grace to those who hear. We're moving fast. Let's go to the next one. Number five, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Verse 30, Ephesians 4.30 says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Paul says, don't cause the Holy Spirit of God to be grieved. Well, how do we cause the Spirit of God to be grieved? Well, in a practical sense, I would say, just rolling here, basically doing the opposite of everything we've been talking about, right? When we keep on the old self, when we forget that we're adopted into Christ, when we neglect to read our Bible, when we neglect to pray, when we neglect to renew our minds, the Spirit of God was given to us as a helper. So let the Spirit help. Use the gifts of the Spirit. Allow the Spirit to show you your sin and then lead you to Jesus. I feel like the Spirit, the Holy Spirit is like uh, we're all the coach of a grade four basketball team and we're down by 10 points and we look up and down the bench and there's Michael Jordan in his prime sitting right there, right? And we're like, eh, just stay sitting, Michael. We'll let these guys roll it out, right? It's like, use them, use them. Think of all the power that's there. Use the Spirit. Number six, let all, let's go verse 31. The sixth thing that Paul tells us. For let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Paul's saying, control your emotions. Stop being tossed to and fro. Have you ever been so mad that you've just lost all ability to think? That's happened to me a number of times. I remember uh, <laughs> when I was younger, I remember, I was what, I don't know, six or so. And I just, I don't even remember what my sister did. But I remember being so mad. I just lost all ability to use my brain, and I just wound up that fist and just punched her in the arm. Oh, I tell you, I ain't ever done that again. I got a smack into kingdom come, 
I got the word to... But in that, in that moment, my brain was just so fueled with rage. I don't even remember what it was. I just remember the feeling of that emotion of like, oh, I'm so mad. I call that being tilted. You get tilted when you just, you can't even think you're so upset. that you're, You can't even think about what's going on. And Paul says, don't get tilted. Don't have such bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander and malice in you. Put those things away. Those are the old self. Burn those things with the old self. Renew your mind. In this new pack, we don't have all these emotions that lead to malice. And finally, the last one, number seven. Paul says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. And so finally, Paul kind of sums it all up here in this one sentence. I kind of see it as, he says, be kind, be tenderhearted, forgive each other because God forgave you in Christ. Why are we to do all this? Well, because maybe eventually if we do it all and we be really good, then God will forgive us. No, because God's already forgiven you in Christ. And God will continue to forgive you when he knows, he knows you'll probably sin again in the exact same manner that you just sinned. You'll probably sin again in the same way, whether next week, whether a month from now, maybe five minutes from now, you'll do the exact same thing. But God loves you. God's tenderhearted towards you. God forgives you constantly. By the blood of Christ on the cross, all we have to do is come to him and he'll forgive. And that's what we're called to do in this new self, to love each other, to forgive each other. Not just because, oh, that's something nice to do. That's what Blake said at the sermon this morning. That was so nice. But because you've been bought with a price. This is serious. You've been bought with a price by our Savior Christ. You've been forgiven. Now forgive others. And so this morning, as the band comes up, we're going to finish up here. This morning, I don't know, I don't know where you're at. I don't know where a lot of you are at in your, in your walk. For some of you, this might be a whole new concept. For some of you, the idea of taking off your old self and, and renewing your mind and putting on the new self, that seems like a crazy concept, right? When I say that, that to people that aren't saved by Christ, that seems like an odd thing to try and do, right? It, you might be sitting there in utter confusion and you have no idea what I'm even saying. You're like, what are you talking about? And so I just want to encourage you today that Jesus wants to get to know you. Jesus loves you. Maybe these, some of these things ring true to you today and you're thinking to yourself, yeah, man, my heart is hard. My heart is calloused. My heart's become numb. I don't like the, the places my mind's going. It's taking me to the, all these weird places, and I'm starting to justify them. Well, let me tell you today, Jesus is tenderhearted. Jesus is forgiving yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He wants you to come to him and have a relationship. So I want to encourage you this morning, if, if that's you, just talk to someone, man. Talk to someone you know. Talk to someone you trust. You t- come and talk to me if you want, or bypass all of us and go straight to Jesus, because he's listening. Or maybe you're in another group where you're in a battle this week and, and you've heard about Jesus, you've been taught the truth in him, you know Jesus, but you haven't quite yet taken off the old self. You've been trying to put on, you know, patches, you've been trying to put on other shirts and, and you're trying to cover up what's there. And you see that your heart is, heart, is, heart, is hardened and calloused and, and you just need Jesus to touch you and make you holy again. And let me tell you, he's right there, right now. He's waiting for you. Just come to him and he will t- 
touch you and make you clean. Or maybe you're all the way past that, and you've taken off the old self, you've renewed your mind, you've put on the new self, and I say, right on, keep on. I applaud you in that. Carry on, good and faithful servant. But be careful, because your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion waiting to devour you. Don't you dare look back at that old self. Don't look back at that old self. When you go out into this world, don't look back on that old self. It's not worth it. It's not worth the trade to give up your new self. Renew your minds. If you're still clinging on to a thread of that old self, just let it go. You're in the family of God now. Leave those grave clothes behind. Those are not you anymore. You're that new self. Keep maturing to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Amen? Let's pray this morning.